0: Good afternoon, Adrian us here with your Center update for 600 ESPN El Paso. New York Mets right-hander Noah Syndergaard has a torn UCL in his pitching elbow and will undergo Tommy John surgery this week, the team announced today. He will have the surgery Thursday at a hospital for special surgery, according to the Mets. Cindergard, who's thir- uh, 27 years old, who is one of the hardest throwing starting pitchers in baseball history and has among the best arsenal of pitchers in the game, was expected to anchor the Mets' rotation alongside ace Jacob deGrom. And let's go over to some more news this coming out of the NFL. The Carolina Panthers released quarterback Cam Newton, the team's number one overall pick in the 2011 draft on Tuesday. Newton, who continues to rehab from foot surgery, had a physical in Atlanta on Monday that was coordinated by the Panthers and his agency, sources confirmed ESPN. Newton passed the physical and is healthy with both his shoulder and foot checking out well his release ends the team's nine-year relationship with the 2015 NFL MVP. A week ago, the Panthers announced that they had given him permission to seek a trade. Newton disputed that, however, writing on Twitter that the Panthers forced him into that. Let's go over to some more news regarding the Panthers. Former New York Jets wide receiver Robbie Anderson is signing a two-year, $20 million deal with the Panthers, a source confirmed to ESPN's Adam Schefter on Tuesday. The deal includes $12 million in the first year of the contract. The source also confirmed. That's a look at your Sports Center update for 600 ESPN El Paso. I'm Adrian Brodis.
1: The new home of Utah Niners football and Utah men's basketball, the Orange Revival, is on 600 ESPN El Paso. Live from
2: the Move and Go studios, it's Sports Talk. Here's Steve kapowich and Adrian Broddis.
3: Welcome back, everybody. And as we get you rolling here on uh, Sports Talk, the Lubingo Studios uh, are uh, at my home here on the west side of town, and uh, Adrian brought us uh, at the 600 ESPN El Paso control room at 4180 North Mesa. By the way, speaking of Lubingo. They are classified as essential and critical workers in the transportation and logistics sector, as outlined uh, within the recent uh, CISA guidelines. So all of their centers will remain open during El Paso's stay-home-work-safe uh, period with abbreviated hours. Starting tomorrow, Lubingo will be open Monday through Saturday, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and continue to be closed on Sunday. Now, they recently introduced a drive-through maintenance option should you prefer to stay in your vehicle for service. From everybody at Lubingo, they want you to be well, and uh, don't forget uh, that uh, the 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday hours begin tomorrow, and they will be closed on Sunday. All right, good show lined up for you today. We've got uh, coming up at 420, Jim Center, UTEP Director of Athletics. Yesterday we had on Mario Mocha. Today we will have on Jim Center. Then at 5 o'clock, Wayne Soup Campbell will join us on the program. Soup, as uh, we told you yesterday, was our uh, featured guest for tonight's Don Haskins Hour, which gets underway at 6 o'clock. Excited about that and uh, having soup with us a day after uh, Fred Reynolds. And uh, that, by the way, that discussion was terrific. Fred was was off the charts. And don't forget, we, we podcast all of these shows after we air them. So you can you can go back and download them. You can listen to them whenever you want. And that's the idea of the Don Haskins Hour. So um, I love the fact that we're going to get soup on today. Uh, meanwhile, I, I do want to let you know, kind of give you an update about our um, all-time UTEP Texas Western brackets. Now, Adrian's working his tail off. I got this thing started. Between the two of us, I feel good that either tomorrow or Thursday at the latest, we'll get this thing going and get this thing launched. However, that being said, I did um, get some uh, feedback yesterday from John Teicher on this. And I got to tell you something, Adrian. It was amazing last night with Teicher. Number one, I had like 5% battery power when I called him and I hadn't recharged my phone yet. So I wanted to see if I could get stay on the phone with him before I would run out of batteries last night on my cell phone, which uh, I think I had 1% when I ended the call. But the best part about it was we went through the seating, right? You know, number one, through through all the way through 16 seeds. And we were discussing player by player and Every time there was like a discussion, Taisha would always tell me, pull up the stats. Let's take a look. And we always look at all the stats of what they did from like their, if it was an older player, they only played three years. Sophomore, junior, senior year. The newer players could have potentially four years. Some had to do it in two. And every time we would put the numbers up, we realized that you know what? The rankings are pretty close. Like 80 to 85% of the seedings were where we thought they were supposed to be. And there were some that might have been seated a little too low and others that might have been too high. So we made some adjustments last night. But for the most part, I feel better about the revised seeds today than I did this time yesterday.
0: Well Steve, I got to tell you that, you know, doing this right now is kind of like a history lesson for me because some of these names well, I mean, let, let me not j- joke around, a lot of these names I haven't heard about or I'm just I you know, I'm too young to to realize who some of these players are and what impact they had for UTEP and Texas Western, but going back, diving deep, seeing some of the stats they have, yeah, I'm with you. There's there's debate that to be had. There's recommendations that we'll get. There's feedback that we will get. There's fans who are probably going to be mad at some points that you know Mm -hmm. some player is not seated as as high as another but to be honest with you steve i think this is going to be a lot of fun and i just think this is going to create so much buzz around utep basketball
3: I think there's some people that are going to be mad that certain players were excluded. That's the hardest part too. Is, yep. You know There are there are great names. like Sal gave us his input um, yesterday and dropped us his list of 64, and I guarantee you there's going to be uh, some of, of Sal's players on there that aren't going to make the list. And I was looking down his, his list of 64, and he had a couple of guys. He had, you know, the hardest part is, you know, some of these 66 players, I mean, there were so many of them, they were so good, it's hard to keep everybody in that mix. It really is because you're dealing with the best 64 players and there's going to be certain players omitted from that 60 66 era teams. And it's going to make people crazy.
0: Yeah, really well, And, you know, you look at the thousand point club, you look at the players who entered the NBA, you look at all the players who help lead the minors to postseason games. I mean, there's so much to factor in here, Steve. The only thing that we haven't factored in is fan support and, and, you know, fan attention, which I'm very excited about once the voting process hits and we got get to see some of the feedback from everybody else. Oh, you're right.
3: You're absolutely right about that. So, yeah, it's, uh, man, this is this is not going to be easy, um, without a doubt. It is going to be difficult. And, you know, I'll give you an example, all right? Harry Flournoy, popular, popular player at UTEP, right? Um, on the 66 team, it was his senior year. That year when they won the national championship, well, you know what? Harry Flournoy never averaged double figures. In fact, as a junior, he averaged 6.8 points per game in 64-65. And then uh, as a senior, he averaged uh, 8.3 points per game. And it seems crazy because you feel like you want to put everybody from that 66 team on, but you can't. You can't do that. So – I think that is ultimately what's going to be the toughest uh, toughest part about all this is trying to decide who makes the cut and who, who doesn't make the cut. And like I said, I base this mostly on numbers and statistics and how they did at UTEP and their value towards those teams. Because there are going to be guys that were super popular, uh, players that didn't necessarily have big numbers but were valuable, but they might not make this cut. And it's going to drive some people crazy. Like, how'd you leave this guy off? Well, then again, if you've got a guy that played, let's say, two seasons and averages 15 a game in one year and then 17 and 10 the other, how do you not put him in there? I mean, that's that's the hardest part is trying to justify um, all of it, the, everybody that's ever played and worn a minor uniform, whether it's Texas Western College or UTEP, and ultimately uh, factor them in in whether or not they make the cut or miss the cut. And I'm telling you. Adrian, this, this is what kept me up on Sunday and last night when I was talking to Taish and, we and we were going over this list and we went through seed by seed. Um, and I believe John's going to join us on the show tomorrow to talk because um, he, he'll be our featured guest on the Don Haskins show tomorrow. Um, kind of give us you know his input in this because I'm telling you, it, it is so difficult, folks, when you start to weigh it down. And here's what we did. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you exactly how I did this. Um, Besides having watched UTEP basketball for the last 42 years of my life, I used the uh, I, I used the historical media guide when I went back and looked at season by season and player by player and what they did and what they averaged and how they contributed and what the teams were like then. And that was how we put this thing together because that's how you got to weigh it. I mean, you got to look at numbers. I mean, I would love to just talk about players based on popularity from what people have said, but you can't. There's certain guys that you just can't leave out. Like if you're a thousand point minor and there was only 26 of them in the history of the program how do you leave one of them out as one of the 64 best players if they've if they made the 1000 point club whether they did it in 2 years, 3 years or 4 seasons whatever they did but you know you got to you got to give them their their due as they deserve it and um i i can't wait to unveil this Uh, you are doing a terrific amount of work as you put a little synopsis of every player together by their seating and then the real fun is going to be when we start putting matchups up and and adrian i was thinking about how we do this when we give fans a chance to vote and i think what we should do is probably start with the eight nines, and then the seven tens, the six elevens, the 5 twelves, the 4 thirteens, um, you know, the 3 14s, the 215s, and finally the the 116s because it seems only fair that we should probably unveil the number one seeds last, right?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And just, I mean, for example, I mean, you did the difficult part. I, I do the easy part with the stats, but I, I just want to give a good example that, you know, you mentioned a player who can come to UTEP and play just two seasons and enter the 1,000-point club. Can you just picture that for a second? Just get, scoring 1,000 points in just two seasons? That was truly magnificent. Those were the numbers that I was seeing when I was putting together all this stuff. And, hey, I'm, I'm with you, Steve. I'm really excited for when everybody's going to to be able to vote on this.
3: Oh, man, it's going to be great, and I can't wait. And I know a lot of people out there are going to feel the same way about this. So uh, it's amazing. And and by the way, think about this, okay? So we're talking about the 1,000-point club. Let me just, just put this into perspective for a second, folks. Think about this, okay? Jim Barnes' senior season. Senior season, 63-64. That's when the Miners went to the tournament. And I believe they lost in the second round that year because that's when Barnes got into foul trouble and uh, they weren't able to get the win. Do you know he scored eight hundred and sixteen points? Man, he's seen here eight sixteen in one season. It is. It's an, It's a. It's a. T- it's a crazy number of points when you start to think about that. Can you imagine being? Eighty percent of the way to one thousand in one year, in one season. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, the college basketball version of Will Chamberlain right there.
3: Exactly. You know, most players if you have a great season and you can and you can score between four and five hundred points, total points in a season, that's a really good year at UTEP. But, you know, eight hundred something points is amazing. So, Stephon Jackson, his, um, his senior year, all right? Now, he played 37 games. That's a lot of games his senior year. But he dropped 908 points his senior year. He had 778 points his junior year. Man, that's insane. That's why Stephon Jackson's UTEP's all-time leading scorer. Because he scored a ton over those years. But you're right. It is insane when you start to think about that. So, I'm telling you, it's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to get the opportunity to just think about the history of the program and the legends. These are the best. These are the best of the best. All right, the best 64 that we came up with um, in terms of this. Uh, you know this this incredible list of players. So anyway, we're excited about that. Excited about getting things going uh, here on the program today and bringing you Soup Campbell. At 5 o'clock and Jim Center uh, coming up next if you want to chime in on the show the easiest way to do it is to drop us a phone call but you can also tweet us 600 ESPN El Paso or you can communicate with us on the free mobile app which you can download uh, courtesy of our friends at uh, United Bank sponsoring our 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app so so many ways to get right on in and through to the show. All right, um, as everybody heard uh, today has been, um, you know, for El Paso, um, a day in which uh, our city government and the county health authority issued the stay home, work safe order that we talked about earlier. And that was announced this morning, uh, the new joint city-county order. Uh, stay home, work safe, and uh, believe me, if you go to um, the website, uh, which I believe for our partner station uh, with uh, kisselpaso.com, trisha has got the latest on that. There's a lot going on, a lot of information around our town, so please make sure that you've got everything you need. We've got a lot to come uh, on, on the show today, so let's get it going. Charlie won with traffic, then we'll get to Jim's center next, right here at 600- ESPN El Paso.
1: 600 ESPN El Paso dot com.
3: Back here uh, as we continue on uh, Sports Talk. Steve Kaplowitz, Adrian brought us with you on this Tuesday afternoon. By the way, gorgeous day to go out for a walk. If you're at home like we all are and you're looking to get some fresh air and you go outside and you take a nice walk, Uh, Enjoy it, folks, because uh, the weather could not be nicer. No rain in the forecast for the next week. Temperatures uh, all in the upper 70s to low 80s. And uh, as we try to um, do our part to beat this thing and uh, take care, of uh, the coronavirus, uh, there's always great opportunities to go out uh, and enjoy some fresh air. Right now, though, we are going to enjoy UTEP's uh, Director of Athletics. He is Jim Center. He joins us live on our Village Inn hotline, where all of our guests always appear as Sports Talk continues. And uh, Jim, first off, uh, it's good to have you back on the program. I wish you would be under better circumstances, but uh, nonetheless, we haven't had a chance to talk to you in, in quite a while, so it's, it's good to have you on the show today and uh, give El Pasoans a nice uh, a familiar voice to it uh, to listen to for the next few minutes
2: well thanks steve it's a, it's a treat to be asked to be on and yeah gosh it seems like it's been a while since we've talked and a lot has changed and a lot is happening in el paso in our world right now isn't it
3: It really is uh, from the city and, uh, you know, what was uh, brought up earlier today by our city government and our county government, which uh, obviously is our uh, number one concern right now as we we do our part to try and, uh, you know, as I said, beat this with the stay home, work safe order. That's in effect. But uh, let's talk also about uh, what's going on right now around the university with uh, the facilities, the the shutdown and, and ultimately, as we. We heard yesterday when uh, we had the opportunity to talk to, uh, to Mario out in Mexico State uh, trying to keep tabs on uh, really uh, hundreds and hundreds of student athletes, not to mention all the administration. Uh, there's, a, there's just a, a lot to, to, to unwrap here, isn't there?
2: there? There really is, Steve. And, you know, one of the things that I've tried to explain to several people, they go, well, why do you have to meet so much and, and, and what's going on all the time? And the best analogy I could give you is. If, if, if we were to assign a number to what we do and how we're living our daily lives, so when everything's normal, let's just say that that number is at 100. And, and so we're going along, everything just hunky-dory, we do what we do. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and we decide, well, let's scale it back from 100 to 90, all right? And so we, we make that change. And maybe it's subtle, and we don't have to tell a lot of people. Maybe we communicate it, maybe we don't, but we've done it. And then somebody else, now think about this. When you think about the different layers, there's the federal level. You know, things like, you know, the CDC and, and the World Health Organization and others or the president uh, puts something forward and gives guidance. So you, you, all of a sudden we had gone to 90 and let's just say they take it down to 85 and then we have to get back together. We have to go, OK, got to get back to 85. And then maybe we think, well, let's just go ahead and go to let's go to 80 or 75. And, and then maybe somebody at the state level says, well, we're going to do this. And they push that information out and that guidance. And now all of a sudden they took it to 65. So you huddle back up, and you circle around, and, and, and you get in line with executing their guidance, uh, and, and maybe you're prepared for, well, what, what would happen if it went to 50? And so think about it like this. The feds, the state, the county, the city, and somewhere in there for us in athletics, there's the NCAA, and then there's Conference USA. And on the other side for the university, there's the UT system, then there's UTEP, then there's the athletic department, then there's 16 sports, with 11 different head coaches, and then you get down to the individual, the, the employee, the faculty member, the student athlete, all trying to stay on top of all these messages that they're getting. It's, it, there's a lot of information in trying to de-conflict the, 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 the mixed messages sometimes that inevitably happen with things like this. It's quite a challenge, and I'm learning a lot going through this because it's unprecedented in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like this before.
3: Now with the stay at home or place of residence proclamation today by the mayor of the city of El Paso um I'm assuming that that impacts uh, you and, and everybody else that's affiliated with the uh, with the school or is it different and are you allowed still to go into to to work at UTEP for meetings and other things
2: Well there there's different levels of things and people that need to be available and to do to do different things um It's affecting everybody. But we've kind of seen this coming and have been talking about when we get together and we meet, what would happen if this happened? What would happen if this happened? And so you start to plan like everybody would uh, on on how would we handle uh, these kinds of things that come down. So we've actually been thinking about and talking about who would need to stay, who would need to be working from home, making sure that people had the IT, the equipment, uh, how we would monitor that. And the, the university has been doing this as well. So not just athletics. Um, So there's been a lot of people at the table talking about how do we get this done uh, for quite some time, really, since we kind of got into this uh, really serious, you know, here about 10, 14 days ago.
3: No doubt about it. And that's kind of interesting when you talk about, you know, the essential business and and really what needs to be, uh, what needs to be done. Look, you're overseeing the entire athletic department right now at the school. And uh, I'm assuming that um, it was really kind of interesting when, um, and I was talking yesterday and again, it's just one uh, director of athletics. It's Mario at New Mexico state. And we were asking, you know, the percentage of student athletes that had remained in, here, or in, for, in his case, it, at, uh, on campus in Cruces versus going home. And it was a very large number that had, had in fact, gone home. Uh, I'm curious, as you start to look at your student athletes uh, and everybody associated with UTEP Athletics, would you say that the majority of them have either gone home to their families or someplace where they, uh, you know, they are not right now in the city or have most of them stayed in El Paso?
2: Well, Steve, that's a very, very good question, and, and it continues to be a fluid situation. So part of it comes down to when when our basketball team concluded play there at Conference USA and we came home, basically we started into spring break that following Monday. So a lot of our student-athletes, depending on whether you're a spring sport and you're continuing to compete or a winter sport and your season's ending up, uh, students were here, uh, they were leaving for spring break, students were here, but they're still playing, uh, as an example, a spring sport in uh, their seasons not finished up, so maybe they were staying like our softball team would have been. Uh, so everybody was all over the place. But I would say probably about a third of our students probably remained uh, somewhere close to the to the El Paso proximity. A large majority of them were probably international in our in our uh, you know our international student athletes because also they, they don't have any place to go, so they stay around here, typically. Which So that's really hard on them. But since that time, once the university came out and said, hey, we're going to go to online teaching and online classes, uh, is that they've continued to, to move further and further away to more of a permanent residence.
3: I hear you. And that's uh, that's that's what I figured online. Online learning will will help aid that with the exception of uh, athletes that are from overseas because it'll obviously be very difficult for them they, they can't get back home right now so really yep. they're that's here right. you know and you gotta hope that uh, they're able to, to to be smart be safe and put themselves in the best possible situation to continue their education but also uh, do what they can to try to to stay in shape that's the toughest part right now is because there the facilities aren't available you don't have the chance to work out you don't have uh, necessarily the meal plans like you're used to so you're you're talking about a lot of you know 18 to 22 or 23 year olds that are probably truly on their own for the first time in their life
2: yeah i think that it's probably a very very unique thing for many of them to to realize that there's not nearly as much supervision and people monitoring everything that they do and so uh we're trying to encourage them to be smart to be wise make good decisions uh you know one of the things steve uh, the, the university pushes out so much information to, on email addresses, uh, and these young people, many of them, the only thing they live by is text messages. And so, you know, one of the big messages: is check your email every day. If you're not going to your email and looking in your inbox for the things that the university is putting out and other entities, you're going to miss what's going on. Right? So, just trying to help them understand that uh, and change change their habits is uh, is a real challenge, but. This really is unprecedented times. I keep trying to reassure everybody this too shall pass. My mom used to say that to me all the time. This too shall pass. Uh, And it will. In the meantime, we're all learning a lot about it. And this is a time where we need to encourage each other, pick each other up, and help those people who who need a helping hand uh, when, when times are tough and they have some limitations.
3: No doubt about it. More with Jim Center as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go ahead and send it back to Adrian. He's standing by in our 600 ES Piano Paso Lubingo Studios and has this Sports Center update for us. <laughs>
0: All right, let's go over to some baseball news. Yankee slugger John Carlos Stanton has made steady progress with his strain-right calf injury this month, manager Aaron Boone said Monday. In an interview on the Yes Network, Boone spoke about Stanton's roadblock from a grade one strain diagnosed last month, saying, quote, if we are ready to start spring training games, he'd be ready to go. Stan played in just 18 games last year due to a number of injuries and batted 288 with three homers in 59 at-bats. He hit 38 homers in his first season with the Yankees in 2018. Let's go over to some more news. This coming out of the NFL, the agent for Washington Redskins left tackle Trent Williams claims that the organization has not acted in good faith regarding his client, demanding once again that Trent Williams be traded or released. In a statement sent to ESPN, Vince. Taylor said that the relationship had reached a point where the team should trade or release Williams, a seven-time Pro Bowl tackle. Redskins head coach Ron Rivera spoke with Williams over the phone earlier this offseason, and the two met in person one time for five minutes. Washington gave permission for Williams to seek a trade on March 5th, but a source said that the Redskins have made it clear they won't give Williams away. They would like to get a second-round pick in return. More news coming out of the NFL. The Seahawks have added more speed to their wide receiver core by agreeing to a one-year deal with Philip Dorsett. He told Josina Anderson, Anderson. The 27-year-old Dorsett gives the Seahawks a veteran option for the number three wide receiver role behind Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. That's a look at your Sports Center update for 600 ESPN El Paso. I'm Adrian Broaddus.
3: Adrian, thank you very much. We continue our conversation right now with Jim Center, UTEP Director of Athletics as uh, sports talk rolls along. Uh, you mentioned something really interesting. Still a lot of meetings. Everything changes from a day to day basis. And right. because the situation uh, you know, most likely will continue uh, new developments as we, we learn about new cases and, and, and things hopefully get under control sooner rather than later. All you can really do right now is wait this out. But at the same time, make sure that your student-athletes have all the information necessary so that they can continue um, their uh, education and their training, even if it is away from the university or even away from El Paso right now.
2: No, that, that's exactly correct, Steve. And, you know, as an example, there are several different things. Uh, as an example, let's just say one of our student-athletes do not have a laptop or access to any type of computer. Uh, I, I know that would be hard to believe, and many people would think, that "Well, that's crazy. How, who would live like that?" But the truth is, there are some people who don't have one because we have computer labs on campus. So if now all of a sudden you're going to be told you've got to you've got to get your learning, uh, uh, you know, online completely, and you don't get to come on campus and you don't get to go to a computer lab, then what are you going to do to get your to get your your teaching and your classes work your classwork done and attend class? Well, you're going to have to figure out how do I get a, I get a computer or a tablet or something. So uh, just even trying to communicate something like that, we have a, something here on campus called the PayDirt uh, loan program where you can borrow up to $500 and pay it back over time uh, as an example. Uh, there, are, there are lots of different things. What about if you have a computer but you don't have access to Internet? So you're not going to Starbucks anymore. You can't come on campus. How are you going to get Internet access, Right. So these are all the kind of challenges that many of our young people are having to navigate right now, and we're trying to help them on a case-by-case basis.
3: Football uh, is probably the one sport that's going to be the hardest hit because you have the most scholarship athletes uh, compared to all the other sports out there. And you were right in the middle of spring ball, like everybody else was. And most schools were uh, right there. You had to cancel spring practice, cancel the spring game, and, and ultimately cancel development on a program that needed it. I mean, you talk about a, you know, everybody needs spring ball, but UTEP could probably say they need it about as badly, if not more, than anybody else, given the fact that uh, Dana Dimmel is trying to build this thing up in year three and he can't afford uh, to, to just suddenly stop, which makes you wonder when things do get back down to normal, will football perhaps get an extended amount of time to try and get everybody up to speed before the season starts?
2: Yeah, Steve, that's a, that's a wonderful question and one that we keep hearing a lot as we have. Uh, I, I, last week I had a conference call with Conference USA officials every single day in addition to the two meetings a day we had on campus. Uh, about all these kinds of topics. This week we're down to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But these are the kinds of issues that everybody's trying to understand uh, because no one wants to have a competitive advantage or disadvantage. Uh, uh, So as an example, we had six or seven practices in. There are some of our Conference USA schools that didn't get any in. Uh, I don't think anybody got them all in. So it just goes to show you how everybody's thinking about, well, how do I get mine? And how am I going to get my team ready to go? And those guys got it done. And I, I need to have a fair shake and get mine in. So everybody's trying to figure that out. We're trying to get guidance from the NCAA as well as our own conference on how do we go about doing that and what's going to be allowable.
3: What are they telling you right now? What are you hearing?
2: Well, uh, what, I, what I would tell you is some of the bigger things that everybody's talking about are what are we going to do about giving uh, an additional year of eligibility, whether it's to seniors, to all student-athletes, I, my sense is that's going to happen and be one of the things that happens to anybody that was in a spring sport. Uh, there's talk; uh, some, of, some folks are talking about winter sports as well. I don't think that will happen. I don't think there's much appetite for that. Um, so that's one of the big things. And then how do you execute that? Because to do that means that you're going to put each, each sport uh, who keeps seniors on board or, or brings them back for another year will more than likely be over their scholarship limits. So that's another challenge associated with that. Um, the recruiting cycle and the recruiting calendar is all up in the air right now for so many of these sports because the national signing date has been suspended, the, uh, the, the we have a, a, a dead period where nobody can do any recruiting out until April 15th, and we'll see if it goes beyond that, who knows? Uh, that's another factor. So this is really uh, it's really going to change the way we do business and how we do it and when we do it. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot more questions than there are answers right now
3: and yet we're still finding athletes all the time going into the transfer portal. So at least one thing hasn't changed over the last few <laughs> weeks, and that's the transfer portal.
2: Oh, Lord, the transfer portal is the one thing that's constant. If you don't like where you're at, go ahead and enter yourself, and uh, and you can find somebody that will want you.
3: And it keeps happening on a daily basis, yep. all over all over college sports. Now, you said there is it's a dead period. Does that mean that uh, coaches are not allowed to contact recruits? Can they can they reach out to them via phone calls or texts? How does that work?
2: Yes, yes, you can have you can you know, obviously send snail mail and emails and phone calls and those kinds of things, text messages. But you can't leave the campus and go anyplace and have any contact with anybody off of your own campus student-athletes or prospective student-athletes can't come to our campus uh, and have any contact with us. So no official visits, no unofficial visits, uh, things of that nature.
3: Are all of your um, coaches uh, sting here in El Paso right now, or have any of them gone other places?
2: Uh, The majority, I would say the vast, vast majority are all right here. We have one or two people that are traveling for some personal issues and reasons. Uh, The majority are here, and they're all doing work. Uh, They've been on campus, and we've started to make uh, preparations for them to be able to work from home. Okay.
3: And as far as uh, for fans uh, wanting to kind of keep an eye on things, I guess the best way to do it would be to to follow UTEP Athletics' social media accounts because if there are new developments, I'm sure you'll be passing those along uh, along with the uh, UTEP official uh, account from the school itself.
2: That's correct. You're exactly right, Steve.
3: All right. Well, listen. Hang in there, um, and uh, appreciate you coming on the program. And let's uh, let's hope that the next time we, we've got you back, we're talking about some uh, some good news. That's for sure.
2: That that would be great. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. All
3: right, Jim Center with us here on Sports Talk at thirty nine past the hour. We'll come back with more. Stay with you. Sports Talk continues six hundred ESPN El Paso
1: worldwide at six hundred ESPN El
2: Paso.com and through the six hundred ESPN El Paso mobile app.
0: Good afternoon. Adrian Broad is here with your Sports Center update for 600 ESPN El Paso. The Carolina Panthers have released quarterback Cam Newton, the team's number one overall selection in the 2011 draft on Tuesday. Newton, who continues to rehab from foot surgery, had a physical in Atlanta on Monday that was coordinated by the Panthers and his agency. Newton passed the physical and is healthy with both his shoulder and foot checking out well, a source told ESPN's Adam Schefter. Releasing Newton saves the Carolina Panthers $19.1 million in cap space with only $2 million in dead money. The Panthers also traded quarterback Kyle Allen to the Washington Redskins and signed pj walker out of the xfl on monday more news coming out of the nfl free agent running back peyton barber is signing a two-year deal worth three million dollars with the washington redskins barber's agent tells espn's josina anderson the deal includes 60 uh, 600 in guaranteed money barber lost his starting job to ronald jones midway through last season with the tampa bay buccaneers but he saw significant numbers of touches he rushed for 470 yards had 115 receivers. Yards and scored a career high seven touchdowns in 2019. Back to some baseball news Mets' righty Noah Sindergaard has a torn UCL in his pitching elbow and will undergo Tommy John surgery this week, the team announced today. They will perform the surgery Thursday at the Hospital for Special, special Surgery, a source is confirmed to the Mets. And that's a look at your Sports Center update. I'm Adrian Brodis.
2: 600 ESPN El Paso
3: Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplow, it's with you from our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios. Adrian brought us over at 600 ESPN El Paso Central. And uh, get ready because an hour from now it's a Don Haskins hour and this man will be the focus of the Don Haskins hour. Excited anytime we get a chance to bring uh, one of the all-time greats back to the show. He is Wayne Soup Campbell. And uh, he joins us uh, live on our Village Inn hotline to begin our number two of the program. Soup, good to hear from you. You know, yesterday we had Fred Reynolds on the show, and because uh, the two of you had the opportunity to um, be part of, you know, those great seasons at UTEP, it's uh, great to have you back on.
1: Uh, thank you, Steve. Just glad to be a part of it. I'm glad you're able to do something to, you know, keep the interest of sports around the nation, especially in El Paso right now.
3: No doubt about it. And you know what's weird as I think about this, but your freshman year was um, was Fred's, supposed to be Fred's senior season, but he was injured, didn't play. And then his senior year would have been your sophomore year. You were injured, and you missed not just the 83-84 season, but the 84-85 season. So you never had a chance to play with Fred Reynolds, did you?
1: That's unfortunate, because uh, Fred actually was my first, recruiter when i went to visit el paso so fred kind of showed me the ropes of the city the school uh coach haskins wanted fred to kind of show me you know what it's going to be like as a freshman and of course i had to follow fred thinking i'm going to have to play against this guy so that was a little overwhelming as a freshman as a you know 17 18 year old kid but uh unfortunate so me and fred never really got to play it together you know during well, that time I'm-
3: I'm thinking about that because that would have been the uh, – you probably came either uh, in the fall of 81 or the spring or summer of 82 because that was your senior year of high school. Do you remember exactly when you took that trip to UTEP?
1: Yeah, it was actually the uh, fall of 81 when I first took the trip because I started UTEP in the, uh, after that. So it had to be the fall of 80, 81.
3: All right, fall of 81, Fred hosted you. As a junior that year, he averaged 14 points a game. That was also Terry White's senior year, Virgil Kennedy's senior year. Kent Lockhart, Juden Smith were freshmen on that team, along with a freshman in Luster Goodwin. Don Bronson was a freshman. So uh, it, was a, it was a good roster, and that was kind of the start as you, as the transformation be had, had already been underway with UTEP, becoming a 20-game winner, going to the NIT, and soon after that, going to the NCAAs.
1: Exactly. I mean, my freshman year was kind of odd, like you said. Fred Reynolds was hurt. Jude Schmidt was hurt. Had Quentin Gates there, too, but he redshirted. Uh, Jeep Jackson, he redshirted. So the bulk of our team was injured. So we only had, actually, I think about 10 active players that year. So the most impressive thing was our practices every day because – the, the team that was red-shirted or out for injuries, they worked us so hard during practices. That's why we were so successful during that year.
3: Wow. And we've always been told just how intense practices were. With a team as f- you know full of, of future minor greats like we had back in the early 80s, I can't even imagine how intense practices would
1: get. Oh, no. The, the, it was so funny. The easy part for us was the game night because practice, I mean, we had to fight. Nil for everything, and Coach Haskins. I mean the, the the coach he was, the the father you know away from home he was. I mean he made sure that if you don't show a hundred percent in practice, you're not getting no time on the on the floor. So, I mean that helped us. I mean that that made the practice so intense every day.
3: Were there ever any fights, like real fights, in practice? <laughs>
1: It's funny you say that. There were several fights, but I think the funny thing, I won't get into detail of who was fighting right now, but uh, the funny thing to see the smirk on Coach Haskins' face when we fought, because he knew if we fight that hard in practice, oh, game day going to be an ease.
3: I believe it. Now you got to drop names because number one, it's it's really what almost forty years ago. So I mean, it's no big deal now. But here's the reason I want you to drop names is because we remember the BYU fight with Luster Goodwin when and Scott Sinek when Lockhart went crazy and just started throwing punches left and right. And there were other good ones as well. I mean, the the games were intense. They were physical. Players fought because that was part of basketball back then. It was just it was a different time. Type of intensity versus what you have right now.
1: Well, you recall the guy we call Beast. That was Juden Smith. I gotta say, Mr. Beast was involved in several fights during practices, myself included. So but yeah, but Juden was so intense during practice where it was hard to contain him, but we knew game night, Beast was gonna be that person for us.
3: But I don't ever recall Juden Smith in a fight during a game. Did he ever get into a game fight,
1: or did he only save it for practice? I think the only time Juden really got into a fight during a game was, was that BYU game. With so he Lockhart. was also in that one. Yeah, He was yeah. also kicked out of the game because of that reason. Also, okay. Juden did get into a fight during Georgetown also, when Georgetown came to us and, and we beat him at home. Juden right. kind of okay. intensified that fight. So we were able to uh, beat BYU.
3: So, when Juden was involved in the fight against Georgetown, um, that was was that the very first meeting between the two teams?
1: Yes, that was the very first meeting when Georgetown came to our house.
3: That's right, and there was uh, and, and the atmosphere then was was unbelievable. And, and that's another thing, you know. In addition to the great conference rivalries that we had uh with byu with utah with new mexico with wyoming and san diego state and and really everybody in the whack in those days there was a run when utep at the haskins center had indiana had Georgetown, the tournament always had big teams back then because it was before all these exempt tournaments like we have now, so you had big schools come here around Christmas time. There was some marquee, marquee matchups with, with great uh, basketball teams and great games in the Haskins Center.
1: Exactly. I mean, rumor has it that all the big teams back in those days, they didn't want to come to Utah, so it was kind of hard for those teams to get booked to come out here during the tournament because they knew they was going to be in for a fight. Wayne Sue Campbell. We didn't let Hardy any team come to El Paso with a win. You know, so they knew they was gonna be in for a fight.
3: Well, and not only that you're you're playing every big game in front of sold out crowd after sold out crowd. And, uh, you know, a lot of people remember what it was like in the 80s if they were there. But for people listening that are too young or moved here later, how would you describe the fan intensity and the students when the, w- really for all the games, but especially the big ones, the, the you New know, Mexico State game, the WAC rivalry games, and of course, Georgetown and, and some of the other big ones. How
1: would how how would you label it? I would say just extreme pandemonium. I mean, it was just so exciting, not only to see our locals, but our our student body, the fans. I mean, folks had tents waiting for tickets the night before. I mean, it was it was just extreme excitement for the players, and it made us easy to be so hyped to go out to that game. So Coach Haskins back in those days had an easy job of getting us you know, ready to play because, you know, we heard the roars, we heard the crowd, and it made us easier just to be ready to play. I mean, we'd be in that locker room just high-fiving each other and saying, let's just go kick some butt out here.
3: Wayne Soup Campbell with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Now, did the nickname Soup start at UTEP, or did that go uh, long before he came to El Paso?
1: No, actually, the nickname Soup was my freshman year. We had a We had a character on a team named Jeff Roberson. know if you recall him. But Jeff was the player that kind of gave everybody nicknames. And uh between Jeff Roberson and uh the game announcer at the time was uh Strausen. Yep Paul that's Strausen what that nickname was yeah Paul Strausen, that's what that nickname was started. And it stuck ever since. Even my parents called me Sue.
3: So what would happen? Would Roberson um, give nicknames, and then Strells would get a hold of them, or would he come up with the nicknames? How did the whole nickname thing go? Because we knew all of them. We knew that Dave Fidel was the Cheese. We knew Ken Lockhart was La Machine. Lester Goodwin was Pony. Uh, were those all Roberson, or was it Strells, or was it both of them?
1: No, I think it was a combination of both of them. But it was more or less the Roberson that would tell Strauss and Paul Strells and prior to the game that, you know, we're going to be calling this guy this thing. And Straussness just took it to a whole other level. So we had, you know, somewhat of an advantage at home, you know, having an announcer like Paul Strauss in those days.
3: Here's what's also amazing. If you have any autographed items from those 82 to 85, 86 teams, a lot of minor players signed their nicknames with their autographs like it wasn't just that there would be the announcers talking about them but players got so into it they would actually incorporate those into their autographs and their signatures.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean cuz we all just was bedded into those nicknames. I mean our own personal families was calling us by our nicknames that we developed in college. Now some players came to school with nicknames, like, you know, Hernell Jackson, for example, came in as Cheeks, you know, and, and we took that and ran with it. So, but for the majority of us, you know, we would develop, you know, Juden Smith, his nickname in high school, because I went to, you know, Juden's from New Orleans like myself. Juden nickname in high school was fire. He came in UTEP, he turned to the beast. And that was because of Roberson Jeff Roberson.
3: Now, I'll say this. Fire is still a really good nickname for a player, but there's something special about a guy named Beast, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you showed it every day at practice and, of course, every day during the game times.
3: Now... Tell me about um, your your leg injury, because you missed not one but two seasons. You missed the 83-84 season and the 84-85 season due to injury, which is unprecedented because most players will miss one year but not two years. Tell me how it went down and and ultimately how it took you a couple of seasons to work your way back.
1: Well, I kind of remember that like it was yesterday. We were playing at home against uh, Arizona State and saw uh, that decided- Deep Jackson gave me just the perfect pass for me to go up and, you know, draw it down hard like I would normally do. And I just came down funny. I think I came down on an ankle of a team player from Arizona State, and my knee just, you know, I lost it. And that's what happened. And it took me so long to rehab it at that time. And the doctors was even saying I shouldn't be walking or playing again. So, I mean, I just had to work hard to get back to the type of player that I was.
3: Man, and that was uh, that, so. That was the uh, game on uh, December twenty second of eighty three. That was the game at Arizona State, correct?
1: No, no, it was it was actually at UTEP. It happened okay. in El Paso.
3: Did it happen your freshman season, or did it uh, did it happen your sophomore year?
1: It was my sophomore season. We we haven't even started the conference yet. We're just playing preseason games.
3: So you redshirted the eighty three eighty four 84 season after your freshman year in eighty two eighty three, and then in 84 you have the injury three games into the season when you play Arizona State.
1: No, let's back up a little bit more. I okay. played my freshman year. In my sophomore year, I was supposed to redshirt, but I didn't redshirt, and that was the year I got hurt. So I had to sit out the next two years.
3: I got you. All right, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure uh, the timeline out. So you get hurt, you're supposed to redshirt. It takes you two years to come back, and then ultimately you end up uh, returning to action during the uh, '85 '86 season when the miners ended up winning uh, 27 games and finished 12 and four in the WAC, which was tied for first.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. Right. Well, but yeah, I'll it was it was, a, it was a it was a long road ahead that I had to look forward to, but uh, but I was able to rehab and with the help of my teammates and, and coaches, of course. I mean, I was able to come back strong.
3: Not to mention you're one of the oldest players in the history of UTEP basketball because you missed those two seasons. So congratulations there. You you had six years to play ball. It was almost like we felt like we actually had a member of the BYU Cougars at UTEP.
1: See, see, Steve, I know you was going to go with the, some jokes on me now. <laughs> it's okay. I still get that to this day, but it's all good. I still hey, feel hey, younger than some of these players.
3: No doubt, and it led to some amazing memories. All right, let's do this. When we come back, um, we, we're going to talk a lot about some of the things that we discussed during the interview with the Bear next hour, especially a conversation that involved what Don Haskins believed was really an NBA career with you, which is amazing. So stick around. Soup will come back, and we'll keep this thing going for a little while longer, okay? Sounds good. Wayne Campbell with us here. 17 passes. Sports Talk continues. But first, let's go to Charlie One. He's got a traffic update for us.
1: 600 ESPN El Paso.
3: Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. A few more minutes with uh, Soup. Wayne Soup Campbell here on Sports Talk as we continue. We learned a little something today. We learned that... Uh, Jeff Roberson was the uh, man on the team behind the nicknames, along with the great Paul Strells, and they were working in cahoots during those years to deliver so many great nicknames. And then Strells ran with it after that for uh, the remainder of the time. We also learned uh, about what led to uh, Soup's injury that forced him out a couple of seasons. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you had the opportunity to uh, finish uh, with a bang on some loaded teams. And you know what? We we talk a little bit about that and uh you absolutely had a chance to enjoy as you were um you know going through as a, as a junior and a senior you saw the development of tim hardaway you played with chris sandal and chris blocker it was a lot of great players on those teams and of course jeep jackson all the way to his senior year
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I was—I feel very fortunate, Steve, because I mean, not only I start my career. Unfortunately, I didn't get to play with Mr. Reynolds, Fred Reynolds, but Fred Reynolds was always there. Especially uh, the next year when I mean, the next year when he was injured, but he was always there doing our practices until he went off to play ball uh, in other places around the world. But I mean, I was fortunate. I, I had the '80s was quite strong for us. I mean, we had some very good talent. And it made our game so easy. And, and just to see the the smile and the smirk on Coach Haskins' face because he knew 80s, I mean, we, we had some squads. We had some really good teams.
3: How difficult was was it for him and the coaching staff to control you guys? Because you had a lot of dominant personalities, a lot of really good ball players. You knew how good you were. Was it tough keeping the minors under control, playing the kind of ball he wanted, or did everybody pretty much buy in from day one?
1: Oh, no. The, the bottom line with Coach Hassan, you had to buy in or you weren't going to be there. So, I mean, we didn't have a choice in that case. I mean, but... Haskins did know the talent he had but of course I mean every player had the ultimate respect for the coaching team especially I mean leading the way with Don Haskins I mean because we knew if we didn't respect our coach we wouldn't going to get no time on the floor so I mean that never was an issue
3: as far as uh, how, you know, how difficult, how tough Haskins was on you, um, you know, was, was he, was he tougher on you than anybody else? Or did he pretty much treat everybody the same?
1: No, I, I think he, I think coach had his favorites. I mean, coach was very tough on myself. He was, he was tough on, uh, Luster Goodwin. He was tough on Quentin Gates, uh, big Mike Richmond. I mean, he, Coach had his favorites that he was going to be really tough on, but we all knew deep down inside when coach was tough on us, we know we had, you know, he he had a glow in his eye about us because he knew we was going to be playing on the court during game. So if coach didn't pay no attention to you, unfortunately, you didn't get a lot of time on the court.
3: One of the games we're going to talk about next hour that you'll hear, uh, with our conversation with you and coach from, uh, 2006 was the paper cup game because it's one of the most famous games in the history of, of Utah minor basketball since you went to the line and, and ultimately beat New Mexico at the pit and everybody talks about the paper cup being thrown, um, I'm sure when you're playing college basketball, you don't think much about it at the time, but are you still surprised that all these years later, that is one of the most talked about games in the history of the program?
1: Well, I'm very surprised about that. I, I did not think people would still be talking about that. I mean, I have a 22-year-old son who wasn't even born during that time, and he talks about it because, I mean, nowadays, you could just pull up stuff on you know YouTube and find it. So, I mean, he... I'm surprised. I mean, that, that game is still being talked about after all these years.
3: Did the cup come into your view during the free throw, and did it absolutely uh, affect uh, that shot as you released it?
1: Like I said, what, 30 years ago, Steve, that cup almost hit me in the eye. <laughs> say but it the is? cup did come in my view, and I saw the cup, But as far as affecting a shot, I mean, who's to say if it affected that shot, that first shot that was missed? Hey, if you saw the the cup in my view.
3: But if you saw the cup, then it could have had an impact because, you know, it's
1: it's one thing. I saw the guy, I saw the the fan at the time stand up to throw the cup. I mean, I saw the whole thing happening. But I mean, but we all know as, you know, collegiate players and professionals, I mean, when you have the free throw, you need to focus. And that first shot, obviously, I wasn't as focused as I I needed to be, but that cup just, you know, it saved me in a sense because it made me focus on that next shot.
3: There you go. And then it became the paper cup game, and it was part of of UTEP lore, and it's something that everybody's talked about. You're right. People still talk about it now, and thanks to that video being up online, people can revisit uh, you and the paper cup game whenever they want. So it's also beautiful that that game was televised, so people have a chance to watch that over and over again.
1: Exactly, and I do give credit to the referee at the time, uh, Mr. Jimmy Clark. Mm-hmm. I mean, because most referees wouldn't wouldn't be that you know take the courage to to call that play or or cancel the play out. I mean, he did. He just took charge of it and gave me those opportunities to take two more shots to win that game.
3: On the flip side, you also don't usually see fans throwing objects at players during the most crucial time of the game
1: either. Not at all. Not at all. That was that was the first for me. the first time I experienced that ever. Of course, you know, having any kind of object thrown at me on the floor. But uh, but I'm sure that fan. I mean, he had to hear it from the home team because I mean, I heard they kicked him out of game, and I'm sure he had he didn't have a really good night after that happened.
3: A question came in on Twitter from uh, unknowns241. And, Soup, he wants to know, um, even though the championship team was more than 15 years before you started playing, did you ever encounter any troubles on the road with UTEP because of the fact that the Miners were the only team in Texas to ever win a national championship during your playing days?
1: No, I I can't say we did. I mean, of course we visit... You know, places like Wyoming every year. In Wyoming, no matter where you come from, Wyoming's going to treat us differently. But uh, but I think that 66 team, I mean, they, they they paid the dues for all of us, you know, to have the type of respect we had around the nation. I mean, so I can't say we had to deal with, the, you know, some of the things they had to deal with back in those days, but they did pave the way for us to have a, you know, a more functioning, you know, society during that time. Was
3: was Wyoming the toughest place you had to play in the WAC, including BYU, Utah, and some of the other venues?
1: I think, for as players, I'm not gonna say they were the toughest, but the fans, yes, it was the most rowdy, toughest fans that I've ever had to experience. Because they, those fans would, they would say some some things to you that you wouldn't take home to you know your parents, you know. But they, there was just a rowdy crowd. I mean, but the players, I mean, it was some tough games out there, but the fans made it even that harder to go up there and beat them in, in Wyoming.
3: Was that during the Fennis-Dembo years?
1: Yes, it was during the Fennis-Dembo years.
3: All right. Interesting. And I remember Fennis in, at UTEP because as tough as it was for you guys in Wyoming, uh, UTEP fans always made Fennis' life a, a living hell coming to UTEP <laughs> to play the Miners.
1: Exactly, exactly. And i got to say, another team out here out west was San Diego State. Uh, We would almost beat them every time we played them, but I tell you, they had some athletes that was out of this world during those those times.
3: What was your favorite memory from your time at UTEP? If there was one that really stood out amongst all of them, what would it be for you?
1: My favorite memory is when we beat Arizona for the first round of, of the tournament that they were playing at home. I think it was triple overtime. That was my favorite memory of a game that we played. And, I mean, unfortunately, it wasn't a game at home, but, uh, but it was a game on the road that everybody just pulled together, and no matter what, because I think the majority of our starters, including myself, filed out that game. But just to see the rest of the players just carry it on, especially Jeep Jackson in those days, and, and give us that victory.
3: Many of us thought that if uh, we didn't lose Jeep during the summer of 1987, he would have had a chance to play in the NBA. Um, been oh, drafted. oh,
1: without a doubt. Without a and, doubt.
3: And yet, during the interview next hour, Don Haskins will tell you that if you didn't get hurt... Um, and missed those two seasons he absolutely felt that you had an opportunity to have a nice career in the NBA which I thought was uh, incredible hearing those words out of his mouth talking about you as, as an NBA caliber player
1: yeah and I appreciate coach I mean like I said I mean coach just brought us all to the next level not only in our careers as an athlete but as a person off the court I mean he just he brought us to that next level and you know, the, of course, the injury was unfortunate for me, but at least I was able to finish up school and, uh, and play, play a few more years after that. So,
3: You've been working for Southwest Airlines a long time. Since we, we had you on the show uh, 14 years ago, you were there. You're, you're still there now, um, and you've had a terrific uh, post-basketball career uh, work-wise with them as you raise your family. Um, how many of your UTEP uh, former players do you keep in touch with these days?
1: Oh, quite a few. I mean, I, I keep up with a, a few of them over the years. Of course, I mean, of course, me and me and Fred Reynolds. I mean, we're extremely close. We we talk almost every other week. But uh, the Quentin Gates, uh, Anthony Bailey, even Don Bronson, uh, Eric Alexandra, uh, I'm trying to think, even Chris Blocker. And Mike Richmond, you know, we keep up doing the social media. So I, so I try to stay in touch with a few of our guys that we played with over the years. You know, I mean, of course they're older, they got their families now. We just sometimes just reminisce about you know, yesteryear and how it used to be.
3: I'm hoping that one of these days, UTEP does a 1980s reunion and brings everybody back from all of those teams. Because when you look at the Haskins Center and you see all those banners that are hung, first the NIT, then the NCAA and the WAC championship, there was no decade like the 80s. It was a dominant from start to finish. It would be great if UTEP would be able to bring everybody back for one big uh, weekend and, and reunite everybody in front of the fans.
1: No, that that would be great. And that's be, been something we've been in talks for for several years now. I mean, we was trying to hopefully get that done uh, before we lost coach, you know, coach Haskins. I mean, but unfortunately, we weren't able to get it together then. But there's still hope, you know, and we still might, might that happen. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, the 80s, I mean, it was a memorable time for me. And of course, a lot of my teammates, you know, during that era. Well,
3: we're looking forward to replaying our conversation in about a half an hour. Soup, it's always great catching up with you. Appreciate all the time. Thanks for taking us back in time to so many great years and and remembering your career as a miner. And uh, always appreciate when you could spend a little time with us here on the program.
1: Thank you, Steve. And tell all my Pasoans, love you all, miss you all, and hope to see you soon.
3: There you go. One of the all time greats, folks, Wayne Soup Campbell, joining us here on Sports Talk as we continue. 32 past the hour. Let's get to Adrian, this Sports Center update. Then we'll come back with more here on 600 CSPN El Paso.
0: Let's go over to some news in college basketball. Iowa State sophomore guard Tyrese Halliburton is entering the 2020 NBA draft. He told ESPN on Tuesday, Halliburton, the number seven prospect in the ESPN Top 100, emerged as one of the top draft elite Point guard prospects Halliburton averaged 15.2 points, six and a half assists, nearly six rebounds, and three steals for the Cyclones. Despite his season being cut short because of the fractured wrist in February, Halliburton established himself as one of the most intelligent, versatile, and efficient playmakers in the country. He's his career. Three-point per- uh, percentage is forty-three percent as well. Let's go over to some more news. This is coming out of the NFL, linebacker Nick Virgil is has agreed to a one-year deal with the Chargers. A source told ESPN, confirming a report earlier today. A third-round pick by the Bengals, Virgil a- enjoyed the best season of his career in 2019. He amassed 111 total tackles, the most of any in his four seasons in the NFL. Let's go back to more news in the NFL. For agent running back Peyton Barber is signing a two-year deal worth $3 million with the Washington Redskins, Barber's agent told ESPN. Barber lost his starting job job to Ronald Jones midway through last season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he still saw a significant number of touches. He rushed for 470 yards, had 115 receiving yards, and scored a career-high seven touchdowns in 2019. That's a look at your SportsCenter update for 600 ESPN El Paso. I'm Adrian Bratis.
3: Adrian, thank you very much. As we continue here on the program, right now, thirty-four past the hour, I thought Super was terrific. Uh, listening to those stories were great, um, and and again, such a unique career because he played six uh, for six years. I mean, arrived in in eighty-two and and uh, didn't leave till eighty-eight. So really, uh, Adrian, no Utah player had the opportunity to to really spend a good portion of that decade with the kind of success like. Uh, like Wayne Campbell.
0: Oh, yeah, and I, I really liked uh, I really liked the whole interview as well on my end, especially just hearing some of these great stories. You know, when I was doing my homework on uh, Soup Campbell earlier today, it's it's crazy to me to know also, in addition to all the other accolades and everything he, he accomplished at UTEP, he's also the single-game school leader in block shots, having eight block shots against Northern Illinois in his senior season. How about that?
3: That's a great stat because if you ask somebody – who the um, who the leader is for most shots in a game, nobody would probably tell you Wayne Campbell. So that's one of those great numbers because it, it definitely uh, would surprise people when you think about it. So that is that is awesome. And by the way, uh, I really was trying to get him to drop names on the fights in, in uh. practice because, I mean— it's been forty years, you know. It's it's like you want to hear about the guys that were fighting because they were a fighting club. That that eighty five BYU triple overtime win at home where the fight took place and 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 it starts with with um, it, it starts with um, Goodwin and then goes on and and Juden Smith and then you get uh, you know Lockhart going crazy, getting tossed. The fans are going nuts and and if you watch the video. Lockhart was swinging so wildly that he nearly hit Coach Haskins without even knowing because he didn't know Coach Haskins was there and he was throwing punch, just throwing haymakers left and right. He almost decked coach.
0: I love that. And I I was sad that he didn't drop any names, too, because, hey, Steve, it's been so long. I mean, just let us know what happened and some of the fights that happened in practice, because if all that happened on a floor where everybody saw, imagine what happened in practice with Haskins and everybody else on that team.
3: No doubt. And how great is it? That he's talking about how Haskins would be smiling when players would be fighting, like he loved it. <laughs> he loved his team showing the kind of fight where they would, where he would start to smile as they were actually mixing it up on the court because he knows how intense and how tough those guys were, and he, you know, take them into games. It, they were nearly unstoppable because they were like that in, in practice against each other.
0: Yeah, toughness was big for Coach Haskins, and the fact that he said that made me laugh too back here. I was, I was cracking up at the fact that he would, you know, smile and smirk every time that he would see a a fight break out in practice.
3: No doubt about it. So that was great. And again, if you want to hear more of uh, Soup Campbell with the Bear, that'll be coming up 6 o'clock right here as we continue on the Don Haskins Hour here on Sports Talk. All right, let's take uh, our final timeout. We'll come back, final countdown. We'll get a chance to wrap things up and tell you about some of the other things that are going to happen in the 6 o'clock hour because in addition to uh, hearing from Soup, A lot of calls. A lot of great calls. Fans were so engaged, and they had so many terrific phone calls. We'll tell you about some of those also that you're going to hear coming up. And uh, Sports Talk continues. It's 600 ESPN El Paso.
1: 600 ESPN El Paso. It's the first
3: Final Countdown here on Sports Talk as we wind it up uh, on this Tuesday afternoon. we got a caller on the line I want to get to right now, and that would be Mark, who's on the show. Mark, welcome. Good to have you on the program. And uh, how's everything going right now?
4: Hey, good, Steve. How you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks, Mark. I got a Don Haskins story from uh, when I was a student up at UTEP, and it was just one of those things where not as good as any of Sue Campbell's stories, obviously. But um, I was a student, and... Um, for some reason, you the men had to practice in Memorial Gym, and we just played some pickup ball. And so everybody got kicked out of the gym. And I was getting my bag ready. I was up in the stands, and uh, one of the graduate assistants came over and said, uh, "Hey, if you're real quiet, Coach Haskins will let you stay. But if you're, you know, if you're not quiet, he'll kick you out." And I was like, "Oh, good. Either go to class or watch a Don Haskins practice." I was like, "Man, I'll, I'll choose watching practice." You know, so um, you know it's kind of quiet, and the, the guys are all you know they're all different parts of the, the gym shooting free throws and dribbling a basketball. It's, it's not real loud. Nothing major going on. And um, they start this drill and still pretty quiet. You know, I don't even know Coach Haskins in the gym. He's kind of off in the corner. You don't really even see him that much. And suddenly out of nowhere, Steve, I suddenly hear him go, shut up, shut up, you big baby, you big crybaby. And I'm like, man, what is going on? Who's he yelling at, right? And I don't know if Tim Hardaway was a freshman or a sophomore, but him and Jeep Jackson had been, Jeep Jackson had been, uh, had been uh, guarding him or he'd been guarding Jeep Jackson. And he was complaining to the assistant coach that. Jackson was giving him elbow in the ribs and, and all this stuff, and Haskins was having none of it, man. He just was cheat-shoot. The, the assistant coach had his arm around uh, Hardaway and was walking him to the other side of the gym, Walk, was walking him out of the gym, and all you could hear was Haskins going, you're a big crybaby, you're a big baby. And I, I was just like, oh, my gosh. I'd never, I'd, you know, I'd never seen a practice before. So, um, you know, and Hardaway was already a really good player, you know, and it makes me think about what we've gone through at UTEP recently with all – you know so many transfers, and and just how players have changed, and how the instruction has changed. You know now somebody would get on Twitter and say, "Well, I want to thank UTEP for their for their time. They're great fans, but I'm going back to you know wherever I'm from or whatever." Just a very a very different time, and um, but that was a really um, you know I never I never knew Coach Haskins, but he that day he certainly earned the reputation as the bear for sure.
3: Wow, that's amazing. And I'm sure after that, you're probably, like making sure you're silent because if he was, in, if he was oh. in Hardaway's ear about being a baby and being soft and all that, then you're probably thinking, I better make sure I'm extra quiet. And luckily, that was long before the days of cell phones or anything like that, probably around, what, 86 or 87 when that happened, huh? Yeah, I, I
4: think it was 87, and you're exactly right, dude. It was like one of those things, like, you know, if you're in a family with a bunch of kids, and the dad starts yelling at one kid. All the other kids clear out, or they're real quiet because because he's gonna start yelling at you all for things that happened three weeks ago. Dude, I didn't move out of my seat, man. I don't think I don't think I breathed for like four minutes. I was just like, holy! I was just like, crap, you know. So, uh, but it was really, you know. And the practice went on, and I mean, you know, very intensive practice and everything. But yeah, it was a, uh, you know, you know, like I said, hardly what you could tell was gonna be a good player, you know, maybe even a superstar. But Haskins cut. He didn't cut anybody, it didn't seem like he cut anybody slack. And I, I think that's why those guys respected him. And I think he treated everybody pretty, um, whether you were, you know, a superstar or you were the 12th player on a 12th man team, he was hard on everybody and it made you a better, probably a better player, I would imagine. So, um, but yeah, that was a, that was a really, uh, that was an interesting uh, UTEP story from my days.
3: Man, that's a good one. I love that kind of story, and that's beautiful. Number one, you were privy to a practice that otherwise you would never have an opportunity to get a chance to be a part of, and then you get a chance to see a battle with those two and Haskins just unload on a young Tim Hardaway with uh, going up against uh, the great Chief Jackson. That's awesome. That's that's good stuff, Mark. Good stuff uh, for sure. Thanks, man. Appreciate the call. All right, and that's those are the kind of stories you love. I mean, that's you know just what it was about back in the days, and and um. We've got Hardaway a couple of times on these Don Haskins shows. That would be one of those great stories. That I mean, maybe we can we can share some of those, and maybe Hardaway would elaborate on that and feel like uh, you know that's just that was back in the days when he was young and learning the ropes and, and realizing that when it was Jeep's team and he was coming up as a as a freshman and a sophomore, you know, you got to you have to learn to to play with the best, and probably something that Hardaway really was able to to to. To kind of soak up as he got more experience and and became that great point guard before he left UTEP.
0: Yeah, he probably used it to all his benefits, and that's probably what you know. Those kinds of learning tactics that he learned from uh, Coach Haskins probably led to his 14 year NBA career. So I, I love that those kinds of stories, and I think that those stories are are much appreciated here as we remember Coach Haskins and all the great players throughout the times here at the UTEP basketball.
3: No doubt about it. So um, as we uh, you know, get ready to, to wind things down on Sports Talk, I want to tell you a moment about uh, Clean Water of El Paso. You know, what Clean Water of El Paso will do for you is uh, they'll come to you and analyze your water for free and let you know what they can do, what kind of system they can put in that will uh, be the perfect system for your uh, needs, with your problems, and your budget. And and that's really uh, the best part about it. They've got pros that will be uh, visiting you, and essentially they'll 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 look at your tap water. They'll analyze it. They'll tell you everything that's in there, and then what they can do for you. And uh, they've got uh, many different options when it comes to water softeners, water filters. You can choose what uh, really is best for your family and and for your lifestyle. And then uh, you're off and running. And he also has some uh, unbelievable installers that will do a terrific job uh, in getting the uh, system put into your home. Uh, and they do it uh, they do it fast, but they do it with quality, and, and really attention to detail. It's amazing, folks. You want to learn more about uh, what uh, the experts from Clean Water of El Paso can do, call them today, 856-0059. That's 856-0059. Or just go online, com. Now, Adrian, as uh, we get ready for the Don Haskins show in in about 10 minutes or so from now, i um, we we give you you're you're going to hear the soup Campbell conversation. You're also going to hear um, a detailed breakdown of the Haskins burger, which was something that um, the the great folks uh, back then at Fuddruckers had created for the Bear. They basically said, "What do you want on your hamburger?" And he created the Haskins burger, which was part of that that second show. But again. What probably has really left such an impression on you? Because today's shows are really driven by social media, tweets, comments on the app, and a couple of phone calls. Were just the volume of calls we would take on those shows, and how good those phone calls were from so many people.
0: Yeah, Steve. You know, now that we're approaching some of the first shows, it's funny because some of your some of the callers back then would kind of get a little starstruck. I mean, they would they would hear Ho- Coach Haskins. They would hear that they were being placed on first on the phone lines and they would be like wow you know it's a pleasure and honor to talk to you coach first off I'm a huge fan you know every call would start off I'm a huge fan I respect you more than anything I I think you're one of the best coaches of all time and that's how most calls would start Steve everybody would just give their utmost respect up for coach Haskins
3: that's awesome but they were also they would throw great questions at him and and you're right but remember again it was a different time. It was a time that when we did a, a radio talk, show, the only way you could be part of the show was to call into the program. You know, now, thanks to social media and um new um you know new innovations like being able to message the show on an app while you're listening to the program live i mean we've we've essentially made it so easy to communicate to us and given it so many different ways but back then you know 15 years ago the only way to do it was to call in and fans would, and they would do it often. And we had our regulars, but we also had our newcomers. And you're right, Don Haskins hadn't done a radio show in in eight years from his last days as a UTEP coach when he would have his weekly show till, till then. So you got Coach Haskins on every other week. That was a treat for a lot of people when he had the opportunity to sit down and talk.
0: Yeah, seriously. And I want to know, how good was the call screening process? Because there was absolutely no trolls calling in. It was all respect. That's awesome.
3: Well, no, nah, nobody would troll the Haskins show. That was something that that wouldn't I'm that glad. wouldn't happen back then. So, and we and we had we had very good call screeners at that time too. So that was that also made it a lot of fun. Um, I believe Andy Lee was our was our uh, on the board for us during the Don Haskins show back in those days. So that was great. Well, anyway, we're going to bring it to you next. So stay with us, folks. The Don Haskins Hour with special guest Wayne Soup Campbell. Is coming up right after SportsCenter in five minutes and only on 600 TSPN El Paso.